You're listening to Beyond Numbers, a podcast by Zero for accountants and bookkeepers. In this series, you'll hear from leaders within some of the accounting industry's pace-setting firms who will share news, views, and creative solutions so you can step away with some inspiration or new ideas to take back to your own business. Caring for the mental health and well-being of your employees is something that we at Zero are truly passionate about. How people are feeling isn't something that's isolated to our home lives. It's important that people can feel supported, whether they're having a great day or a bad one. Our mental health and well-being affects our work, relationships within a company, our productivity and our family life. And that's why supporting people in this area can really help to foster an environment where people feel like they belong and can do the best work of their lives. Looking after and investing in well-being can help your people, your teams and your organisation. According to a recent study commissioned by Zero, businesses that invest more than £1,000 in employee well-being achieved an average revenue growth of 50.3% and employee growth of 47% during the same period. So what can you and your businesses do to better support your teams when it comes to their well-being? In this episode, I spoke with Zero's well-being lead and people experience business partner, Liz Crump along with Emily Deacon and Liz Micklin from More Growth Accountants, who have recently undertaken a practice-wide 12-week wellbeing program. I hope you enjoy this episode where Liz, Liz and Emily share their experiences and advice when it comes to focusing on mental health and wellbeing in your business. So Liz, Emily and Liz, welcome to Beyond Numbers. Thank you for joining me today. Let's start with some introductions. So Emily and Liz from More Growth, why don't you start by telling us a bit about yourselves and your firm? Um, my career in accounting started 15 years ago as a graduate in an audit role um, with a top five accounting firm. After qualifying, I then moved into their internal training facility. So I actually went on secondment and spent a year teaching accounting to the new wave of graduates and the existing team. Then decided to do a kind of total U-turn and went into industry for five years and so have kind of done all of the different facets of the accounting profession. So industry, practice and, and teaching for a short period of time. My current role at MGA is people and operations partner. Um, and all the experience that I've gained over the last 15 years in those different roles has shown me pretty much everything I think that the profession has to offer. But my focus now is on the team here um, and the operations, making sure that everything's running smoothly. Um, my role here um, is cloud account specialist. However, that doesn't really portray what I do. So my <laughs> role is actually split into three. So one is onboarding new clients. Um, also, the second one then leads into apps and tech and making sure that we're using the best um, possible software there is to make our clients' lives a lot easier. Um, and then the third one is business development as well. In addition to that, then I do also um, take part in our well-being and social team. Awesome. Very cool. Thank you for that. And Liz from Zero, tell us a little bit about you and your background. I've worked in HR for over 15 years now and over half of that time has been at Zero. So my role at Zero is a people experience business partner. So I partner with people leaders to support the creation and drive of strategic people initiatives. So a big part of my role is to ensure that we're getting the best out of our people at Zero, but also that they feel able to be able to give that best. So 
within my well um, my role at Zero as a people experience business partner I'm also a wellbeing lead for the UK and EMEA um, and yeah that's something that I'm just super passionate about I think in most cases um, for all of us life experiences shape your passions and that's definitely um, what's happened there for me so outside of Zero, um, I'm a few years into studying to be a person-centered uh, therapist uh, feels like a long way to go but I'm getting there and uh, work with some charities on volunteering to help people with their well-being as well Brilliant. How did you find yourself getting into the role of wellbeing lead at Zero? I don't actually know the answer to that question. You know, things just happen. <laughs> I think it's something like that. But um, so just before around the time I started at Zero, I had some quite big changes in my life and um, had to prioritise my wellbeing. So it was naturally a bit of a, um interesting subject for me. And um Zero is great at being able to, if you've got an interest or a passion in something, you can create that opportunity within your role. And we were small enough at that time for me to focus on wellbeing. Um, so it was something that quite naturally happened. And I'm very glad it did because I'm still very passionate about it uh, all these years on. Humans everywhere experience wellbeing and mental health challenges. It's just part of being human, isn't it? So, you know, we're complex creatures. And actually, research that Zero undertook recently showed that Mental health issues such as stress and depression, anxiety cause 44% of work-related ill health. So Liz, what are some of the ways that businesses um, can support their people when it comes to mental health and well-being? Um, I think there's an endless list, but I'm going to try and give you a few uh, things that spring to the top of my mind. So I think the first thing is around education and awareness um, for everybody in the business, but probably definitely people leaders as a starting point. So um, when it comes to wellbeing, I think there's a bit of a concept around wellbeing, sometimes being yoga sessions and fruit bowls, but actually it's a lot deeper than that. So if we think about mental health, um, research shows that one in six people experience poor mental health in the workplace. Um, and I'm sure that number is even higher because not everybody wants to say that they experience poor mental health. Um, and research also shows that there's strong links between employees' positive levels of well-being and them performing well, feeling engaged, feeling great about the company um, and, and high um, retention as well. So there's lots of reasons for a business case for well-being to be a priority. But if uh, the organisation and people leaders don't know that, then that's that's a challenge. So I think that education and awareness of why well-being is important is definitely one step. Um, and... The other thing I would say, the second thing is around creating the right culture in the organisation. And that is often a really big job, but the small steps really do count. I've seen that over my experiences in different companies that what can feel like a really small action actually has such a high impact when it comes to creating the right culture for that organisation. A good place to start is values. Are they driving the right behaviours? And if they're not, look at making sure that that change happens so that they do. There's some practical steps around making sure you can show employees that wellbeing is a priority. So things like employee assistance programs, having wellbeing benefits, whether that's something um, like apps or even just signposting to helpful resources in the local communities. Um, but the biggest thing I think for supporting wellbeing within the culture of an organisation is to create an environment where people feel psychologically safe. And that's that again is a big job. So I think if I think about feeling psychologically safe, to me, that's an, an environment where I can come to work, be really vulnerable and say to whether that's my people leader or my peers, I'm really struggling today. And being able to say that without the fear of judgment, the fear of 
um, being punished, the fear of not being helped, that's a really important step. So if people feel like they can come to work and have the space and the culture creates a space for well-being needs to be a priority and being talked about, then that really makes a difference. The other thing just on culture is around making sure that any well-being conversations, initiatives, whatever you do around well-being is authentic and the leadership when it comes to well-being is authentic as well because otherwise people just see through it. So for example, if you're going to put on a well-being workshop but people are so under pressure and um, behind on their work that they can't feel that they attend, then actually those things become tokenistic. You want to make sure when you organise something, whether that's something big, something small, that actually it's something that's realistic for people to engage in as well. Um, and then the last thing to answer that question that I can think of is around doing some some simple actions. And that usually starts, I think, with finding your passionate people in the organisation and do something. Um, so we have wellbeing champions at zero. Um, but I don't think it needs to be wellbeing champions. There are people all around us who are passionate about wellbeing. Um, find those people, get them talking about it, make sure the approach is authentic. That will naturally happen if those people are already passionate about wellbeing. And that can be some, the actions can be something simple, like create a conversation around something to do with wellbeing, to get people talking about it, show that it exists. Or you might want to link something to an awareness day. So there if you Google Wellbeing Awareness Days, there's so many places that can give you them resources. October was World Mental Health Day, November, I think we've got men's health coming up. So quick, simple actions are things I've definitely seen people engage with that starts that ball rolling. Emily and Liz, you recently completed a wellbeing programme at More Growth. What encouraged you as a business to take part in something like this? I think it was all of those things that Liz just mentioned, that whole wanting to recognise that as an industry, we work in a very high-pressured, deadline-driven, high-performance industry. Um, but actually, we don't have a product that we sell in the same way as lots of businesses do. We sell trust and relationships, and it's all about the people, the people building that trust with our clients and those relationships. And actually, if you've got a burnt-out, stressed team, they're just not capable of doing that. And clients see straight through it. And so we have to recognise that actually it sounds really cliche, but people are our biggest asset. And actually the strength of the team means we have happy clients, which then means we have a strong business. And to ignore that, having over my 15 years worked in some great environments and some awful environments, it would be really foolish to take all of that learning and all of that experience and be that business where it was really stressful and it was really horrible for the team. And, and we didn't want to be that business that burnt anyone out. That wasn't our goal. That's not why we exist. And so recognizing that very early on that actually we do have to look after the team and a happy team means happy clients meant that we wanted to do something over and above that wasn't, as Liz said, tokenistic. We made sure that all of the wellbeing sessions were during work hours and the team were given that time and that space to take part in the programme because we didn't want it to be a, oh, by the way, we're going to do this and this is going to help you. But if you can do it of an evening, that would be really great. It was very much we as a business are taking this and the team seriously and we will allow that time and that space for the team to take part in it. So I think it was just that recognition that if we don't look after the team, we don't have a business. 
And you can ignore that for as long as you want to, but that's the reality of the situation. Mm -hmm. And we do try and drive conversations with the team and have that culture where people are comfortable talking to us. And we do have conversations with the team where they're having a bad day or this has happened and they don't know how to deal with it. And so we know we're very conscious of the mental health needs of the team and the fact that people do have bad days. So the more we could demonstrate to the team that we cared and equip them with the tools to build that resilience and those coping mechanisms, then to us, it was it was a no brainer. We had to do it. It would be daft of us not to. Yeah, nice. Was there a catalyst to doing this? Like, was there something that made you think, okay, now's the time to do to do it? Um, Yes and no. So it was, there was something that, it was something that my business partner and I had always talked about doing and having that awareness of mental health. And actually it was sparked through, um, so the, the business that we worked with to, to do the 12 week programs called Employees Health. And we've known Rich Turner there for a long time. Emily's known him, um, longer than us. And we, we met him through Emily and the work that he does, particularly around that focus of employees had always been, a huge passion of his and really interesting to us. And he actually built the Optimal Wellbeing Programme and asked us whether we wanted to be part of it, almost as a guinea pig. He needed another business who he could trust to, A, take part and commit to it and B, provide him the really valuable feedback. And so it was something that always had been in the back of our minds. And then the opportunity arose and it was like the stars just aligned and that was the time to do it. Yeah, amazing. Emily, do you want to talk us through your experience of the program? How was it for you and the team? Yeah, so from um, an employee perspective, and Liz could probably talk about her employee perspective as well, Yeah, um, is that it actually brought us together um, more regularly as peers. Um, so because we had, it was 12 weekly sessions, we all got together at least once a week as a team to discuss um, different mini ha- habits that we created. We put them up on the board. And we held each other accountable, asking them how they were getting on with um, their habits, which all contributed to their big um, goal at the end of it. Um, So from that perspective, it was actually really great to be more like team building. Um, And yeah, so I'm quite sporty. I'm quite um, healthy in terms of like nutrition. I drink a lot of water. So that is covered in part of the 12 week program. However, there are things that I don't necessarily look at or consider like the gratitude um, or journaling and writing about how your day was because you don't, as a human, really reflect on what positive happened in the day. Mm -hmm. It's normally the bad things. Um, So for me, um, as somebody that is quite healthy and sporty and does a lot socially, um, that side was actually really interesting to me. Nice. And how did the team respond to the programme? Well, um, Emily and I probably have different perspectives on that nature of kind of being the boss against being one of the peers. I guess for me, as as one of the business owners, we certainly saw more interaction and more openness from the team talking to each other. Um, the accountability point that Emily mentioned was really interesting because we all set goals and we gave people the option as to whether they wanted to share them or not. We felt that was really important that actually this wasn't a forced, we're all going to do this together, but actually it was a very personal thing for people. Um, but we all set mini habits and actually those people, those we found people were quite comfortable to share. 
And it just sparked conversations amongst the team that I don't think we ever would have had if we hadn't have gone through it together. And, and they were holding holding me to account. So one of my mini habits was that I was going to cook a fresh meal once a week on a Monday evening, because it was the one night of the week I had nothing on. And on a Monday morning, I was being asked by the team, what are you cooking tonight? And on a Tuesday morning, I was being asked, did you cook it? And I almost had this different level of accountability that actually wasn't work related and it wasn't professional. It was about me as a person saying that, I want to do this because it will make me feel better. Um, and so I think my take on it from the team was actually, I think there was a big team building element of it, but actually just those conversations that I don't believe we would have had amongst ourselves if we hadn't have been through it. Um, yeah. I yeah. Know. I mean, it also gave us a good experience of setting our own habits as well. So we yeah. often ask um, business owners to... Um, let us know what their goals are so then we can also hold them to account in reaching their goals, whether they want to grow the company, whether they want to exit the company. And to begin with, because I've never set myself a goal, is quite, I don't know, it's quite a weird feeling. It's like, oh, I don't know if I like this. It's a bit <laughs> weird. So now you can feel how a business owner feels when you're asking them to set a goal and um, keeping them accountable to it as well. So I think it gave everybody in the team great experience of that. Um, so in addition to coming together as a team, there were different aspects as well. Yeah. Yeah. That, that we could take back to the, to the day job. Actually, mm. we've put ourselves out of our comfort zones and I don't think we'd realised just how flippantly we'd ask business owners to do that. And actually all of a sudden when the shoe was on the other foot, it was like, oh, this isn't easy. This isn't as simple as we thought it would be. Um, I think one thing that I just want to mention in terms of the way the team responded, we knew going into it that it was going to push people out of their comfort zones. And over the 12 weeks, we covered things like nutrition and exercise and journaling and social activity. It was so wide reaching. And actually, I think someone like Emily went into it a little bit closed almost of saying, well, I eat well and I play netball and and I, and I go out with my friends and I do all of those things. And, and we knew going into it that there would be some sessions that just didn't resonate with people. And there would be some sessions where people go, oh, well, I do that already. And so we as the employer had to almost mentally prepare ourselves for the fact not everyone was going to take everything from it. But actually, if everyone took one thing from it, that's enough. That, or even if one person took one thing from it and that helped them, then that was mission accomplished as far as we were concerned. And we didn't set the expectation with the team that everyone was going to journal every night and everyone was going to join a gym and no one was ever going to eat a McDonald's again. It was just, let's all go into this open-eyed and see what we can get from it. And that feedback we've had from the team, and they've been very honest that I didn't like that, that's not me, but actually that one thing I can do and I will do for the rest of my life. That's incredible. I think that's the biggest challenge with um, wellbeing, isn't it? All the biggest yeah. opportunity, depends which way you look at it. Yes. But there's so many different aspects to this that everybody's mm -hmm. needs are so different that yeah. um, to plan one thing that's going to cater for everybody is really, really tricky. But it sounds like yeah. there was a real varied approach on the different topics. 
And, and that was one of the reasons that when we spoke to Rich initially about the programme and the setup of the programme, even I was sitting there thinking, well, I'm not going to do that and I won't take anything from yeah. that session. Um, but we wanted it to be broad. We didn't just want it to be, okay, we've signed up, like you say, for yoga classes and we're going to have someone come in once a week because you lose half your audience straight away. It had to be broad enough to cater for enough that we were going to capture something for everyone. Um, and that's what this did for us. Nice. And yeah. I guess it's a it's a great way of like demonstrating to your workforce actually this this more to just you know, there's more to mental health and well being and wellness yeah. than maybe you think it is. And so maybe just opening people's eyes to, you know, what other people might be going through or experiencing in their day to day. Liz, do you wanna talk um Talk about maybe share some of the insights uh, into some of the initiatives that Zero has looked at in recent years to support our people. Yeah, sure. There's been um, quite a few different things we've done, and uh, some things land better than others. Um, one of the things I remember that have really um, was actually quite powerful and, ch- and been really clear around what wellbeing meant to us as a company was about four years ago. We removed the term sick leave and replaced it with wellbeing leave. Um, we wanted our zeros to ensure that they were able to take time off for their wellbeing needs and it didn't need to be because they were physically sick. And that relatively small change had a huge impact because the message to our teams was then really clear and really loud that we were creating space for them to look after themselves and giving them permission to look after their wellbeing and prioritising their wellbeing. So now people will take time off if I don't know they're feeling anxious but they're not physically sick Um, they might take time off if they need to go and spend some time sorting out some medication rather than it being because they've got a migraine so there's it's really just opened up that way of thinking that as a business we're asking you to think about your well-being not just your physical health how do people know what what well-being leave should mean to them Liz so I think we were really clear about it when we communicated it out, um, but it was definitely something that we had to carry on. Like there, I remember when we first implemented it, the amount of questions that we got um, was like, well, can I take it for that? Or can I take it for that? Um, so I think just over time, it's become really clear around. And now when we onboard new starters, we talk through with them, like this is what wellbeing leave is, this is what it means. Um, and managers are also encouraging people. So if somebody is really struggling, like my manager said to me, do you need to take wellbeing leave for that? So it's not just something that's employee initiated. A few years on from um, when we did that, we um, had a global wellbeing team hired and they have delivered some great projects and initiatives around all of our regions at Zero. So one of the great things they did was a series of learning events called Time Well Spent. And that's now a really common phrase at Zero. Um, It's helped create some shared language and agreement on how we can all enable and empower each other to work productively during the pandemic that was really really good that was so helpful um it covers things like uh time zone management um so when we're on different sides of the world working together in different hours um it's created permission for people to make the judgment call of whether they actually need to be at that meeting and if they feel they don't then to say that and that's fine um meeting etiquette to make sure that we're not just attending meetings for meetings when they can be emails or Slack messages. Um, and looking at our own well-being in terms of those tasks that we do day to day that give us energy or drain us of energy. The training for me was really good on that. It made it super clear to me, actually, these things really drain me. And then to some aspect with that information, we're able to shape and tailor our roles to make sure that they're more, we're getting more energy rather than giving more energy. And then 
in region we all have wellbeing champions so we have a really great group of wellbeing champions in the uk and they focus on a particular theme every month but going back to what we said before around knowing that everybody has so many needs we try and make sure that it's a bit even though we've got a theme there's other stuff going on and there's lots of things signposted so that team have organized things um, like nutrition events they've got groups of zeros to do a panel discussion we've had well-being workshops or even just encourage conversation so um, we use slack as a, a messaging tool and we have a well-being channel set up there so one one place to go to for people to find out well-being information and quite often we'll put questions in there just to start the conversation. And we've seen some really powerful messages and stories come through of people and their experiences with mental health that has been and from like senior leaders that's been really encouraging. So it gives people that feeling that they can be vulnerable and they can struggle because it's okay to do so. Um, so there's quite a few things that we've done and some have been small, some have been big and they've all had very different impacts. Nice, thanks Liz. Um one for Emily and Liz, your wellbeing program was 12 weeks long, but how are you planning on making sure that you're keeping mental health and wellbeing front and centre within your firm beyond that program? Um, continuing to talk about it. That's the best way. Um, Emily will touch upon, um, I suspect, when she talks about the responsibility of our kind of wellbeing and social committee and the fact that actually... Um, a bit like you've got well-being champions, it doesn't just fall to the two business owners to keep this alive. It's very much a, a team effort. And that's something that we talked about a lot at the end of the programme. We've talked about a lot with Rich as well. How do you keep it alive? How do you keep this living and breathing and it not just becoming something that we did 12 months ago? Um, I think in terms of our, our, our culture, we do try and breathe that open, honest, and we want people to come in and say, do you know what? I'm having a terrible day today and for that to be absolutely fine um and so i think the only and, and the best way to do it is just to keep that open channel of communication and to make sure that the team understand us as business owners understand their peers um and we continue to provide that support and that kind of open door policy of how are you feeling today and when you get asked that question that is a genuine how are you feeling today and not a flippant comment at the kettle yeah, as part of the um, social team, um, we do obviously schedule those different events that happen um, on a monthly basis. So there could be a number of events happen in November because there's Halloween um, at the end of October. Then we've got firework night. Uh, there seems to be a lot around autumn. And then obviously you have Christmas dues as well, so it becomes a bit easier. Um, summer's a little bit more trickier because people tend to be off um, for annual leave. And because we are such a small team as well, if one person is out, then it does actually make quite yeah. a big difference. Um, so there is that side of things that we do look at on um, a month-to-month -month basis. But we are also looking at how we can incorporate the 12-week programme into the social team and the events that are going forward. Um, that hasn't... We haven't um, kind of got that right yet because there are new people coming and going and again with a small team it does make quite a big difference so um i'm sure that we will have that in place for the new year yeah nice how do you know whether uh, the the work you're doing around uh, well-being is successful like do you measure the results in any way 
So we did for the 12 week program, um, part of the, I guess the first day, the kickoff day was around Rich came here and we all had health assessments, but actually there was self-assessment as well. Um, so as well as the kind of the tangible height, weight, all of those things, actually we all had to assess in various different areas where we were on a scale of one to 10, how we felt about our nutrition, how we felt about our social life, how, how well we slept. And that was very much self-assessment, but it gave you a starting point. And actually, in reality, only you really can assess your well-being. It's all very well trying to take quantitative measures, but that's not the way that it works. There has to be an element of how you feel. Um, and we all did that again at the end of the 12-week programme. So again, it was through self-assessment, but with the belief that you're the best person to gauge how you are that you're feeling. Um, and in terms of the, the results as such, which Rich very proudly shared with us overall across the team, we had a 24% improvement in those different areas. I think there were 10 different areas. Health, happiness and energy was 31.5% improved across the team. Work and productivity was 12% and lifestyle was 26%. So as far as we're concerned as the business owners for the sake of a financial investment and a time investment on our part, if we can, as a team, feel 24% better across varying categories, again, that's a that's a huge success for us. Yeah, absolutely. We use Office Vibe at zero. And I was just going to say, that, that's Liz, front runner for us at the moment. Liz is yeah, a total expert on this. So Liz, do you want to talk us through um, how zero uses Office Vibe? Yeah, so one of the um, ways that we, one of the many ways we use to manage our wellbeing initiatives is we look at, um, Office Vibe, which is a um, engagement survey, pulse survey that goes out to our employees every um, two weeks, and it's like you said, um, Liz, short, quick. It doesn't take too long to fill out a survey. It can be anonymous, so the default is anonymous. But people, if they want to add some comments to their scores, they can press a button and it can say who they are. Um, and we encourage people if they if they feel comfortable to to own that comment just because it's easier for us to be able to work with them um, if there's something that needs to change but there's 10 metrics behind office five one of them is well-being and the questions fall under two categories so stress um, or personal health um, and we're able then to get a, a and a kind of a good set of data to understand where and um, we can drill down into the questions still with it all anonymized we can't really get you can't ever really find out who's answering them you can see by teams but it's still such big data um and i think there has to be more than like six people for it to uh, for you to be able to report by team so it's it gives people that safety and being able to be totally honest about how they're feeling um, but we're able to get some data from that and go okay people are really struggling with stress at the moment we need to do some stuff around that so the data kind of tells us how things have been going and we might be able to link oh we did that event and we've got really good scores but it can also help us work out what we do going forward um, and there's some other metrics on there which are really interesting from an employee engagement employee experience point of view as well. I think one of the things that I think has really changed at work in recent years is the openness for people to be okay, to not be okay. Um, I saw a post, a really great post from someone on LinkedIn last week who shared that they'd added a status update option on Slack to say, not yeah, feeling that. 100%. And yeah. I really love this one because you don't always need to take time off work. Sometimes you just need a little bit of extra time or space or care from, from those that you're working with. We've got similar options for people to use on 
on Slack at zero. Um, Liz, do you want to share a bit about those? Yeah, so we, um, we've we got a, so we use Slack statuses a lot. We've got a wellbeing um, icon, so uh, that focuses on wellbeing, tells people if they're on wellbeing leave as well. And I think that's really helpful because there's nothing worse, right? You come back from uh, taking some time off, especially if it's because you've been sick or you need to focus on your well-being and you have a whole heap of stuff to, to, deal, so, to deal with. So you're almost having to cram two days work into one if you take a day off. Um, by having this kind of well-being leave uh, slack status, what happens most of the time, I'd love to say it happens all the time, but most of the time people can see that and they think, I'm not going to send that message or I'll send the message and delay it till that person is back in the office. Um, and it just, I think, also creates a bit of awareness to let people know that may like to expect a bit of a delay to let people know that actually it might take you a bit longer to get back to them. But also the impact that has on you by letting people know that you're taking some wellbeing leave or needing some uh, time to focus or work on a project, whatever it is you update your Slack statuses. Um, it's good because then it gives you permission to not feel like you have to respond to everything instantly which I think has definitely been a bit of a result of the pandemic that we fear as humans we feel we need to be readily available to everything everybody everyone all the time because we've not we've not been doing much else um so it's definitely helped I think people manage their well-being um by being able to update their slack messages Emily Liz do you do anything like this at more growth how do you how does your how do your people communicate whether they're well not well um, we don't have kind of different statuses set up through it, um, but we are, let me say, relaxed about where people work from and how people are feeling. But I, I mean, people will message to say, I've got this going on at home today. Can I work from home? Um, that could be child related, pet related, parent related. There's kind of no holds barred in that respect. Um, and I don't know that anyone's ever had a no, you must be in today response. It's very much a absolutely do what you need to do. Um, but it all comes back to that, that two way communication. So if we feel like we're being kept informed by the team, like you say, if someone says, do you know what? I'm really not feeling very well. I'm going to work from home today in the hope I can just lie down for an hour throughout my lunch break. Is that okay? everyone will reply with, I hope it works and I hope you feel better. And if they're then letting us know how they are, then um, there's that level of trust amongst us all that actually we don't people think people are being slopey shouldered and not working. Do what you need to do and, and trust the fact that the, the client work, the client work will be delivered and our service won't be impacted. And that's fundamentally what it comes down to. The level of trust is so important, isn't it? I yeah. remember working at other organisations where there wasn't any trust and people didn't take time off because they don't yeah. feel better. They don't feel good for it. They end up take yeah. a day off to rest with over one thing and end up worrying about work. And yeah. um, so I think getting that communication, and that trust right, really does then help give people that feel like they've got the permission to rest in the way they need to. Yeah, I think the, the pandemic forced people to change their mindset around that. So um, my dad worked in the same profession as me, but a, f a few years before I did. Um, and he was very much of that mindset of when we went into lockdown. He's like, well, how do you know the team are working? And I was like, dad, it's, the world doesn't work like that anymore. You have to trust the fact that people are. Um, and actually, I think a lot of people 
who were of that mindset, they, they, they couldn't, they couldn't be like that throughout lockdown. They had to believe in the team and they had to build that level of trust. And, and th- I'm sure there were situations where that trust was destroyed and people weren't working and people were pushing the boundaries. Um, but fundamentally you, you choose your team and, and there has to start from that point of trust and until it's broken down. And I think the pandemic, awful as it was, went a long way in terms of forcing people to have a different mindset about it and start from a point of trust rather than distrust. Yeah, and I think that's really powerful for leadership as well. And, you know, knowing that your leaders trust you and that and they care about you, it has such an impact on sort of how you're going to communicate your experiences with them. Liz, you've had your own wellbeing challenges in your time at Zero. Do you want to share a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So um, when I joined Zero, I didn't have any health problems. Um, I didn't really know what it was like to have to make your wellbeing a priority, um, probably because I didn't need to know. Um, and then about six months after joining um, Zero, I was at home and um, I bent down and picked a wet towel up. And since that day, I well, at that time, I felt a pain in my back. And since that day, I felt pain pretty much every day since. Um my injury story for sure is as lame as they come. I should lie and say I was wing walking or fighting a bear or something, but um, <laughs> it was something so simple and so boring um, that changed everything for me. Um, so because of that moment, I've had times where I can't walk very well. I've had surgeries and injections on my spine that haven't worked. And these days I walk fine most of the time, um, but my pain is there all the time. And uh, the challenges with my back mean that I'm a disabled person. And that's really difficult for people to understand and support you when you don't look like what they think a disabled person looks like. So I'm walking normally. I'm standing up as we do this podcast. Um, There's not a, a, um, a disability to see. So it's very much invisible. And that's really, really like that's a really big challenge for me. Um. And going to work in a really busy job with constant pain, lots of medical appointments, um, feeling terrible, that's another challenge. So to say it impacts my well-being is absolutely an understatement. But on the plus side, I've been really incredibly fortunate to work for a company like Zero that supports my well-being. I've got a people leader who listens to me, understands me and my needs and what I'm kind of what I'm going through. And Zero's worked with me to make sure that despite me having a disability, I'm able to do the work in the way that I need to. I honestly believe if it wasn't for the way Zero supported me, I don't think I'd be in employment because things were really bad at one point. Um, and now most of my um, pain, like most of the time, my pain is pretty much always there but most of the time it's manageable so I know but I know there'll be times where it won't be where I won't be able to stand or walk very well because it that those fun times happen um but I also know that when that time happens I'll feel all right to say to my people leader into zero that I'm not okay and I'll get the support that I need so my situation is unique about my physical health that impacts my mental health but for others they might have well-being challenges that are caused by finances or relationships that impact our mental health um i know that not everyone gets the support whatever their well-being challenges are and so i mean for that reason alone i'm really passionate about raising the awareness of it um but zero in terms of like the workplace has been really good for me with what i've been through and um everything we've talked about today has been covered in my situation to make sure that I feel okay when I'm at work. Amazing. And we had Jen Surtees, 
who's Zero's people experience director on the podcast in our last episode talking about people and culture and it's you know it's really clear when you listen to her how much she cares and you are very lucky to have her as a direct manager Liz and I know that she's been a real support for you as you've worked through your challenges. Can you share with us some of the ways that Jen and Zero have supported you? Yeah um so look, even things from the physical space, when I do go into the office at Zero, we have sit-to-stand desks. I've got a sit-to-stand desk extension at home that Zero has supported me with. So there's that, that like the physical stuff, um, but also there's the emotional stuff as well. And uh, my journey with my back problems is very emotional at times. And uh, Jen has definitely seen that. So Jen's been fantastic at being able to create an environment where I, I've talked about psychological safety today, where I feel so safe to go to my line manager and say, I'm not doing too well. And quite often, Jen will come to me and say, like, how are you doing? Because she usually knows that I'm not doing too well before I've realised it. Um, it's a magic power I think she's got. And um, empathy and no judgment. Like, there is so much judgment around um, when it comes to people with invisible disabilities. I think that things are changing but it's still very much there because you can't see you can't understand something you can't see so um zero and jen have been really understanding and there's never been any judgment i've been at in the offices not being able to walk straight and i've had nothing but empathy and care from people and that's really unusual um you'd like to think it wasn't but that is really unusual so yeah a mix of everything really but um the biggest thing i would say is that um, when I'm under the care of the NHS, it's really tough. Medical appointments are not flexible quite often there um, during um, the working hours. And that can be really tricky if you have a company that isn't flexible and supportive. Luckily, that's not been the case for me. So um, I had quite an intensive pain management course to attend that meant I had to take uh, like a Monday afternoon off for six weeks. And I was really worried about it, even with Zero being supportive. Um, but Jen really encouraged me to go onto that course. And that's probably been the one thing that's really shifted how I've managed my pain. So um, I think just as a people leader, when you understand somebody from their perspective, rather than your own and what you think they need, because as humans, we're solution focused, we want to fix everything with the best intentions. But when you're somebody going through whatever that well-being challenge is, you don't need solutions. You just need somebody to listen and try to understand. And I think that's what Zero and Jen have got perfect for me. Thank you, Liz, for sharing that story. Um, yeah, it's super powerful and it's always great to see when, when a business does it right. And I think we're really lucky at Zero. I guess if, if we're thinking about the accounting industry as a whole, we work with a lot of really progressive firms and it's not to say that um, mental health and well-being isn't something that you know is considered within firms but I don't know there's something about when I hear about stories like your one at More Growth um, Emily and Liz you know just hearing that you're focusing on the subject is really great to see how what kind of advice would you give for other firms sort of contemplating actually building a program or undertaking sort of a series of um, initiatives around well-being and mental health? It's really just about making incremental changes. So it's not going all in straight away. It's not saying, right, everybody has to do a 12-week um, well-being program. It's not about that at all. Um, we do actually have posters up um, in the kitchen as well on well-being. So it's not just a case of we've done um, a program and that's kind of the end of it. We also... 
um, have health insurance through Vitality and they often do webinars as well, which will um, allow the team to use their work time to go onto their webinars. So it's just getting engaged from the team and actually asking them what they want to see, um, not just thinking you know what they want to see as well. So we did that, we had a session to find out um, what charities that people um, actually care about and what they want to, whether they want to do anything with them charities. So it's not just um, focusing on, right, we've got free fruit in, we've got teas and coffees, we've got other things that you may want to see. Um, we do try and accommodate everybody in their thoughts and ideas. I think just do something. And it doesn't have to be massive. And like Emily said, it doesn't have to be a 12-week programme. But whatever you do, do it well and mean it. And that can be, we had Wednesday Walk Club. So we're really lucky. We're in a barn conversion on a farmyard. Just even if it was three people in their wellies on a lunchtime, going out of the office into the fresh air and getting caught in the rain, like all of those things are just insanely good for you. And just... Don't ignore it. I think as a profession, we're typically a very traditional profession. Um, that's certainly being broken down an awful lot as um, older generations are retiring and cloud accounting, and there's so much change in the profession. Um, so whatever we do, we need to commit to, and you need to believe in it as the business owner. Speak to the team. What is it that they would benefit from? Is it just once a month on a Friday, let's all go to the pub at four o'clock. Like that's an hour of time, an hour and a half of time a month. That can make such a massive difference. But make sure that that it's committed to and it's thought about and it's believed in. Otherwise, it just is a it, it doesn't achieve anything. How does well-being impact a business business's bottom line? Like, you know, does it actually make any difference if your staff are happy? healthy, etc. in your opinion? Yes, absolutely. Um, the, the simplest way, I guess, is if you have someone off sick, they're not delivering the work, that's going to impact your bottom line. That's the kind of worst case scenario, extreme, someone goes off long-term sick because they've hit burnout and they therefore can't deliver the work. That impact may not be, you may still continue to service your clients and therefore you don't lose anything off your bottom line, but there's a huge opportunity cost that other members of the team are having to step in and deliver that work and therefore they're not doing the things in the business that they should be doing. Um, but even just the fact that someone's having a bit of an off day and they try and plough through and they're not operating at 100% or they make a mistake, all of those things will absolutely, absolutely impact the bottom line of a business. And I think one of the reasons that well-being can be ignored and has been ignored is it's really subliminal. It's not the case that you lose a client and you see the direct financial impact or your costs go up, you see the direct financial impact. Actually, you can convince yourself that because you've got 100% of bums on seats doing the work that you are delivering as efficiently and as capably as you are. And therefore, you must be earning as much money as you possibly can. That's a total false economy. 
you need great bums on great seats delivering the work, not just playing the numbers game of, oh, we've got 100% um, kind of attendance today. You need 100% attendance and 100% mindset and commitment. I think this, we're in a um, really interesting time as well, aren't we? Because you've we've come out of the pandemic and people's perspectives and priorities have changed. I think I genuinely think people are more passionate and interested about their own individual wellbeing needs than they ever have to, been before and there's more choices because more companies are flexible around hybrid working or remote working so actually if organizations aren't prioritizing people and their well-being needs people will very easily go and much easier than before go and find another opportunity so then there's a like you say it's not um it's harder to see but you there will be retention impacts as well and also the brand reputation I know companies that do not look after individuals well-being and I don't work there I've never worked there I don't know anyone that works there but 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 I I see it and I hear it so um it's it's much harder to hide this stuff now than ever before yeah yeah it's a great uh recruitment and retention um sort of initiative really isn't it because you know at zero in particular, I feel, in particular, I feel really safe to say like, "Hey, I need some time," or I'm "Not feeling a hundred percent," and and because of that, like because I know zero is like that, I want to I want to stay. And I think, you know, there are other businesses that that might not be so kind. Mm. Um, and I think sometimes um, businesses can think, "Oh, we can't focus on well-being because there's there's challenges." Like you said, Liz, we're busy, um, or we don't have a well-being budget. We never had a wellbeing budget in our UK EMEA region until the last couple of years. And we did so much with wellbeing. And I think it's around being creative. It'd be lo- always lovely to have a budget, but it's being creative. Look at who you use as your benefits providers. Can they come in and help? Look in the local community. How can you get those people to come in and help? There's always free webinars on. Um, but just like Liz said, doing something, like start talking about it. Talk about one well-being and one-to-ones. It doesn't always have to be operational performance-related conversations. And so it doesn't need to be something that's assigned to a budget or and there doesn't always, the challenges don't need to be as big as they seem. What about in terms of like where to focus the energy? Because obviously, you know, there are so many elements of well-being. So like how can businesses make sure that they're covering all aspects or at least kind of starting off sort of considering as many options as possible so i mean you can start by talking to the team and understanding their different perspectives and what well-being means to them where they think their biggest challenges are where they think they'll get the most benefit that's the easiest way to make sure that it's really targeted or like liz said um little and often so there are various kind of days events in the calendar where you can have that as your focus um, it doesn't have to be a whole month long exercise committed to one thing. You can pick and choose very, very easily um, and, and have a broad range. Don't just pick the thing that you believe is most important to the business. That's not your vote to cast. That's the team. And, and again, it becomes tokenistic if you're the one deciding what you're going to focus on for well-being for your team that's not how it works we'd have a <laughs> dog team. therapy day every day at zero if that was the case yeah exactly <laughs> exactly but it should be the team and like emily said the team should be driving it it doesn't have to be top down it can be very much the team saying actually do you know what i had this conversation with this person and we think this would be really great so 
I think there's a huge element of listening and being as broad as you can with what it is that you choose to do. Being very narrow minded about it won't tick enough boxes for enough people for you to see any benefit. Yeah, we've um, done polls before. So just quick polls where people can select what option works best for them in terms of what their needs are. And that's so we were organising a wellbeing workshop and I didn't know what the best topic would be. And actually, whatever I came up with, like you said, Liz, is irrelevant because it's, it's not just me on the workshop. So um, and we were able to get a really good indicator around what, what the topics were that people needed support on and built the workshop around that. The other thing that I've done in the past um, is around just doing a bit of a taster session. So planning lots of little events on topics and seeing what what engages people, um, because that's that can be a good indicator sometimes. But a lot of it, there is no there's no right way to get it, get to everybody. Like you said, I think it's around sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but learning from it when it doesn't work. Well, I think that about wraps us up. I think there's been some really great food for thought here. Um, So thank you so much. Um, I'm sure there's a lot that people will take away from this episode. Um, Before we wrap up, we are going to jump into our Beyond Numbers Word Association game because it wouldn't be an episode without it. So Liz Crump, people. Uh, HR. Why do you say that? Um, I think, well, my job is... HR function at zero is people experience so the minute you say people I think of my day job (laughs) (laughs) fair enough good reason Uh, Emily culture Um, I think of people then but um, not just people like in the company as such like um, culture around the world that's what comes to my mind (laughs) probably my travelling that comes Mm -hmm. to mind (laughs) brilliant Um, Liz from MGA purpose the reason that we get out of bed in the morning. Nice. What is your reason, Liz? Um, so in my role particularly, um, it's about watching the team succeed. So our purpose as a business is twofold. Um, it's to help our clients build a better business and it's to help our team be the best advisors that they can be. Um, and so for me, it's about my purpose and why I get up is to help the team achieve and to celebrate in their successes with them beautiful thank you lizzo you know who you are (laughs) (laughs) happiness oh happiness um Oh, You're thinking think. about your fiance, aren't you? You can't get yeah, over that one. Yeah, I got engaged. Happiness. I just think there's so many words because happiness is never um, one thing to one person usually, isn't it? And often it's something that moves all the time. But I think if I think about like well-being, all of the different aspects of well-being, I think if you can get all of those aspects quite high, then you'll reach happiness. Sorry, very long answer to your question. It's a great answer. Food makes everybody happy. Yeah, or snacks. Snacks will do. <laughs> yes, that makes me hungry. Uh, Emily, <laughs> flexibility. God, there's loads of ways you can go with flexibility. You could go with flexibility of working hours. You could talk about flexibility in terms of how businesses are resilient and flexible in order to um, re- achieve their goal with things like the pandemic that's come in how they've had to flex around what they do in order to achieve um, 
achieve that so yeah quite a few things is flexibility at work important to you um yeah no definitely so i fortunately haven't had any um any events like liz uh, from zero however in terms of like pets so i have three cats so you were um, gonna get them in weren't you yeah i was gonna get them in the boys um i had to take one of them to the emergency vet last week so having flexibility at work allowed me to take him to the vet um and there was no work impact and there wasn't an impact to the team um because i was able to flex around my working hours i know all our listeners are going to care about this but is your kit okay (laughs) Uh, yeah, no, he's absolutely fine. Oh, Thank you very much. I would absolutely do a post if you <laughs> Sorry, Liz, you're going to say something there. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, that's a great example, isn't it? Because your well-being needs were to get your cat well and truly looked after, which I totally relate to. Um, I had to run <laughs> off and shut the door earlier because my cat wouldn't be quiet. Um, and, but for some other people, if, especially if people don't have pets, they don't understand how important pets are for some people that is just like um i don't know it's just like some people would feel about their children it's everybody's needs are so different aren't they yeah and they contribute massively as well to well-being as well like they just make you so happy whether you have a cat a dog a horse doesn't matter that having them there is just so much comfort Mm. Yeah, pets are family. I'm definitely a proponent of having dogs in the office, Liz. I know you've heard it a lot, but just want to add that as one one additional tick to the box, please. (laughs) (laughs) Liz Crump, productivity. Balance, because, and I would say balance, because if I think about when people are able to be the most productive is when they've got good balance with work, life. Um, The minute that one of those level starts to go up a bit then it's really hard to be productive um so yeah balance i think cool and liz from mga mental health imperative fundamental um not talked about enough one of those things that i think the whole it's okay not to be okay is that movement still happening. I think there's still an awfully long way to go, um, but all moving in the right direction. But I think there needs to be more recognition of just how imperative and how important it is. Um, and, and that will continue to, to move, but will take a, a long time still, I believe. And that marks the final episode of Beyond Numbers for season one. Um, Mental health and wellbeing is a really important topic and one that I'm really glad that we've covered here. Um, I hope everyone listening continues to think about it and talk about this topic with each other and within the businesses that you're part of. Thank you, Liz, Emily and Liz for joining me today. I really appreciate your time and your insights and hopefully everyone listening um, has got a whole load of things to take away today. So thank you again. Thanks, Ash. Yeah, thank you, Ash. Thank you for asking us to join. This was the final episode in our first season of Beyond Numbers. If you've missed any, please do go back and have a listen to our other episodes. We covered some great topics from the changing face of accountancy and how to stand out when marketing your practice to remote working, people and culture, and even one on making tax digital for income tax self-assessment. If you've liked what you've heard, please do share with your peers and colleagues. 
And we'd love it if you could rate and review Beyond Numbers wherever you listen to your podcasts. Let us know which topics you loved and what you'd like to hear more of. And we'll be sure to keep those recommendations in mind when we come back for season two. This has been Beyond Numbers, brought to you by Zero with an X, produced by Birdline Media. Thanks for listening.